host host, Goulash. Lately, I've been buried in fan mail. Let's dig through some more, shall we? The first submission comes from Fred Skinzaldon. Fred says, These spooky stories are not scary at all. Maybe you should consider changing the show name to Baby Stories. I've heard scarier stories from my grandma, and she only talks about knitting and oatmeal. Well, Fred, it just so happens that you put your home address on this piece of mail here. So I might have to come and pay you a visit sometime. <laughs> to be honest, I am a bit relieved that that wasn't a question about my spine being made of goo. I'm tired of all those questions. The next submission comes from Timmy Brokenface. Timmy says... This show sends shivers right down my spine. By the way, didn't you say you have a spine that's made of a long string of goo? What's that like? Damn it, Timmy! I'm sick and tired of having to explain my goo spine to everyone. I told you once and I'll tell you again. It's made of a long string of goo. It drips all the way down my back and in all the right places. If you know what I mean. There are a bunch of bubbles that keep it together. Would it help if you could all see what I look like? Well, uh, maybe one day I can show you all. That way we can settle things once and for all. I'll think about it. Until then, let me introduce you to our first story. The Old Man and the Tree. <laughs> what is it? Is this Bob Furman? Who wants to know? It's the city. We're notifying you that we need to cut the tree down. Bob unlocked the deadbolt and opened his front door, revealing two men with orange vests standing on the porch. City workers, huh? I just dealt with you people a few days ago. We've been ordered by the city to cut the tree down this Friday the 13th. Just letting you know, one of the workers said. There was a fire in Bob that was growing. His anger was beginning to take over, but he kept it in check. But it's in front of my house. Technically, the tree belongs to the city. The tree's located on the sidewalk in front of your house, which in your case is outside of your plot of land. We're just letting you know so you're not alarmed when it's being cut down. But it's such a beautiful redwood tree. It's been there since I was a little boy. The tree is old and diseased and dying and needs to be cut down for the safety of the citizens, as well as your safety. We're sorry. The fire in Bob started up again, his fists clenching tightly. Now you listen to me. I've been dealing with you motherfuckers for years now and I sure as hell ain't giving up. I don't care what you say about who it belongs to. That tree's been there since I've been alive, and goddammit, it's still got some life in it. Regardless, we need to cut the tree down. We're sorry. Sure you are. The men started to walk away. Wait, wait, don't go. I'm, I'm really sorry to trouble you both, but before you go, could you help me figure out this smell? It smells like gas might be leaking somewhere in my house. The city workers stopped and looked at each other. They muttered some things to each other and then responded. 
All right, we'll check it out real quick. Thank you so much. Come on in. Watch your step. The two city workers stepped into Bob's house. Sir, you really need to clean this place up. It really stinks in here. How do you even smell the gas over this terrible smell? Oh, you get used to it. So about the tree, you understand why I don't want to cut down, right? We must preserve Mother Nature so that- Listen, old man. We're not talking about the tree right now. We're here to see if you have a gas leak. If you do in fact have a gas leak, we need to know ASAP so that you don't accidentally blow yourself and the whole goddamn neighborhood up. Now where did you smell the gas? Bob grinded his teeth. Right this way, down in the basement. The next day, another on the door. What is it? It's Ted. I work with the city. I just have a couple questions for you. It's very important. Bob opened the door. What is it? Do you recognize these two city workers? They were scheduled to stop by your house yesterday to notify you about that tree there being cut down. But they never returned to work and no one's heard from them since. No, I can't say I recognize them. In fact, no one stopped by. You said yesterday? Yes, your house was one of the stops on their route yesterday. You sure you haven't seen them? Well, why would I lie about something like that? This is ridiculous. Are we done here? Yes, we're done. But please, if you hear anything about the missing workers, please let us know. I'm their supervisor and I'm very concerned for their well-being. Bob's anger quieted down. Yes, I will. I'm sorry. I, I hope they turn up. A couple days passed and it was Friday the 13th, tree cutting day. But Bob was prepared. He was standing firm in front of the tree, arms folded, waiting for the city workers to show up. Bob's anger had been building as the days passed, and he was not going to let this tree be cut down so easily. A truck pulled up with three city workers, one he recognized as Ted, the supervisor from a couple days earlier, and two other larger workers that he didn't recognize. They approached Bob. You're going to have to move. We need to cut this tree down. Over my dead body. Sir, we have this paper from the head of public works giving us permission to cut this tree down. Just then, Bob reached into his pocket and pulled out a pocket knife. Before anyone had a chance to react, Bob swiped his knife at Ted and just barely missed. Instead, Bob cut the paper Ted was holding. The two other men tackled Bob to the ground and quickly subdued him. That's it! I've had it! You've caused us enough trouble, Bob! There is nothing you can do now to protect this tree, you hear me? Bob struggled to get himself loose, but it was no use. You know what I think? I think you have something to do with my missing employees. Just in the past week, we've had six men missing. Six men! Now I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to cut this damn tree down, and we're going to make you watch! And then after that, we're taking you right to the police station for questioning! Bob screamed in agony. Ah! He'd worked so hard to protect the tree for all these years, and now he'd finally failed and the tree would be cut down. One of the workers grabbed a chainsaw and began to tear into the tree's bark. Bob couldn't bear to watch, his screams audible over the roaring of the chainsaw. Ah! Suddenly, the worker who was cutting the tree stopped and yelled, Boss, there's, there's something red leaking from the tree. I don't think it's sap, it it looks like blood. Just then, something changed in Bob. 
His agonized cry began to morph into a sinister-sounding laugh. <laughs> Cut it down, yes, please. Cut it down. See what's inside. Do it, 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 do it. <laughs> Reluctantly, Ted gave a signal for the worker to continue cutting into the tree. With its massive weight, the tree began to teeter heavily to the left, and the side of the tree began to crack open. And as it did, more red liquid began to spew out of the tree. As the tree tilted and fell over, blood and body parts erupted from the inside of the tree. Intestines, arms, legs, all kinds of body parts splattered across the pavement and grass. What did you do? What did you do? Screamed Ted. They all tried to cut my tree down. So I showed them. I cut them down into little pieces and fed them to the tree. Ah! <laughs> oh! <laughs> hmm. I never thought to look for a corpse in a tree before. I guess I'll have to remember that next time I'm looking for a midnight snack. The next story is called... Orders Up. <laughs> As I leave the bathroom, the diner sounds pick up again. The clanking of utensils, idle chit-chat, a man coughing, the sizzling meats and fry oil. It all encapsulates what it's like to be in a surprisingly bustling diner in the middle of nowhere at 11 o'clock at night. And yet, the small corner of the diner where me and my friend were sitting seemed quietest of the entire place. Before sitting down, I wipe my hands against my coat. Those air dryers don't do anything, I say to Jace, but he doesn't seem to be quite all there. Which is understandable because of how tired we both are. This is our last stop before our final drive back home after a month-long, multi-state trip with Jace's hockey team. Jace was a goalie for the team, one of their best, and I decided to go with him. After what seemed like the worst year of my life, I felt like it was a good idea to tag along, even though I could never play anywhere near as good as anyone on that team. It's just fun to watch, cheer, and be a good friend. You good? I ask. Jace just sits there with his eyes fixed to his hands, which laid on top of each other on the table. Even though you can tell he was pressing down hard, his hands still seemed to be trembling. Hey man, what, what's wrong? What, what did I miss? His eyes dart up at me and he quickly pushes his right index finger to his lips, motioning me to stop talking. He pushes his left hand past the coffee and plates and extends out to the edge closest to me. But when he pulls back his hand, a small piece of paper is left behind. I pick it up and unfold it. It reads, My new friend, please meet me by your vehicle. We have matters to discuss. Following that is what looks like a name, but it's long and virtually unpronounceable with its lack of vowels and unnecessary accent marks. My new friend? I ask. As I turn my head to try to scan the room, Jace quickly snapped, Don't look! He looks as if he broke some sacred rule by talking, but he knows that it's already done, so he tries his best to get it all out. He's the guy in the corner. Don't make eye contact with it. When you were in the bathroom, they came up to me, handed me the note, and told me not to speak, and... Jace's nose starts bleeding. As he feels it with his finger, he snatches a nearby used napkin to staunch the bleeding, and I've never seen it before this moment, 
but Jace's eyes began to weep. I grab one of the larger knives at our table and I wipe it off. Positioning the knife around the corner, I can see the tables behind me. A family sits towards the right. I remember them, especially the kids, being a lot louder. But now they just kind of sat there. The youngest kid is tucked under his mother's arm. To the right of them, directly behind our table, is a man with a gray suit and a purple tie. His sunglasses seemed out of place in this place, but it fits his overall awkwardness. I look up at Jace and ask, The dude with the glasses? Jace's bottom lip trembles as he nods his head in confirmation. He doesn't seem that bad, I say. A little weird, but... I start to move the knife a slight bit forward, and the reflected image falls just below the table where the man sits. Below him, underneath, and wrapped around the single pole of the table, was a very skinny, very frail, very naked man. Woman? Animal? Demon? Its translucent skin made its ribs seem much more prominent, and its innards were pulsating as it coils around the pole. Its bony, mangled fingers clutched the pole as it maintained a steady motion, constantly moving. And his face, oh god, his face, it's as featureless as it is horrifying. Beady eyes that seemingly glow yellow under the cover of shadow. I lean in toward the knife to get a better look when all of a sudden his eyes snap towards the knife and I drop it. It bounces off the table edge and lands on the floor. Our lovely waitress Beatrice, who was chatty just moments ago, comes up to the table and swoops up to pick the knife before I can have a chance to react. She places it back on the table and begins to refill our cup. The coffee splashes around a little bit with her shaky hand. I look up at her face and she seems panic-stricken, just like Jace. She whispers to us, We're in the back trying to figure out what to do. Just stay calm, boys. As she walks away, I ask Jace if he was the only one who got a note. Still holding his napkin to his nose, he nods again. I look out the window to see many cars out in the parking lot, but only ours seem to be parked separate from everyone else directly beneath the lamppost. Well, then I'm the only one that can fix this, I say, and I stand up. If I can make it to the car, at least I'll have some light. As I start to walk toward the door, Jace reaches out and grabs my wrist. If I can save everyone here, I gotta try. I don't look, but I can tell everyone in the diner is looking at me. In hope, in honor, in horror, in awe. The bell above the door rings out as the door opens and closes behind me. Being inside the diner so long, I forgot how cold it was out here. But after the initial breeze, the heat of the adrenaline kicked back in and I begin to make my way toward the car. After I reach about 20 steps away from the diner, I hear that bell ring, and without looking, I know it's him. I stop in my tracks, and I hear his feet hit the gravel of the parking lot, and his footsteps are just as disturbing. Stomp. Drag. Stomp. Drag. I'm not even sure where this confidence is coming from. Months ago, I would have never stood up to the challenge. Maybe it's a death wish? Maybe I finally come to terms with who I am, and I understand that I was meant to be here. I don't even know what this guy wants, but if he's inciting so much fear in everyone in the diner, there's something wrong. I reach the car and I take a deep breath before turning around. From deep within the shadows, I see the man approaching me. Behind him, everyone in the diner stares out their windows with bated breath. Stomp. Drag. Stomp. Drag. The silhouette shows the man is limping. His left leg was slowly dragging behind him, and it looked enormous compared to his right leg. It's in this moment that I realize that that thing that was under the table is now wrapped around the man's leg, 
The edge of the silhouette rises as it spins and coils around the man's leg. When the man enters the light, I get to see the creature in its full horrific glory. It's even worse close up. It seems wetter, almost as if it had a thick layer of slime surrounding it. Or maybe it's just the way its skin congeals around the muscles. The man with the glasses takes them off, revealing empty holes where his eyes would be. His mouth drops open and I hear talking despite his lips not moving. You are given a task. Even though his mouth is slack and immovable, it seems as if the sound is coming from the creature wrapped around the man's leg. And yet the creature has no mouth or nose. Under its eyes is just as smooth and featureless as the rest of its body. What kind of task? I ask. You must find the stone of the gods. This stone raises blood from the ashes and brings forth our true lord. And if I say no? You can do or say as you wish. But if you decline, you will surely perish. Why me? Because you were born at the right time on the right day. You were chosen. Scripture has been written about you. And your prophetic existence will be realized. Isn't there anyone else? Two others were born at the exact moment as you, but they were weak. You are strong. I didn't notice, but I started moving backwards toward the car. I began to wonder if the door is locked. If it's open, I could get something in there that could help me defend myself, or I could protect myself inside. I might have to pass, I say, worried about the consequences. Then you will perish. As the creature hops off the man's leg, I reach back to feel a very locked car door. Embracing these final moments, I take a deep breath. But suddenly, the car's lights flash and I hear the doors unlock. My eyes shoot toward the diner and Jay sits there waving his arm with the key fob in his hand yelling at me to get inside. The creature notices me looking toward the diner and takes a look himself. When he realizes what's going on, he lets out a huge scream. The lamppost above me starts flickering and I hear a rumble coming from within the diner. And just like that, I hear a loud pop. The inside of every window of the diner is suddenly covered in a viscous dark red liquid with chunks of flesh. The creature's eyes dart back toward me and he starts running at me. I quickly spin around and open the car door and lunge myself in. As soon as I grab anything, I feel my foot being ensnared by the surprisingly sharp talons of the creature and I'm instantly yanked back. My flailing arm, which now has a very sharp ice skate clutched in its grip, slashes the creature right down the lower half of its face where its mouth would have been. It yelps in agony and begins clawing at its own face to help stop the downpour of its bubbling blue blood. Its eyes flicker yellow to purple to red to green as if it were some broken LED light. Suddenly, the creature sinks its talons into the wound and pulls down, ripping more flesh and creating an obscenely large hole on the side of its face. A brilliant white light blasts through the hole that looks as if it could be seen from miles away. With his head flailing left and right, it looks like some insane searchlight trying to search for a billion planes at once. I lay there on the gravel awestruck as the man behind him 
falls to his knees and then collapses noiseless and effortless. I'm hoping the creature is next. But with one hand, the creature slams his face hole shut and regains his composure with slivers of light occasionally seeping through. He searches for me and eventually reestablishes eye contact. Inching his way closer to me, he crawls up my petrified body and looks at me face to face. He removes his hand from his face and the light blasts right into mine. And suddenly everything goes black. It feels like I'm dead, but I still can feel my hands and hear my heartbeat. But I can't see anything. Am I blind? I place my hand on the floor and notice that instead of the small great gravel below me, it's a cold, hard surface. I push myself up and I'm now standing, although I cannot see anything. I reach in my pockets and grab some matches from the night before we spent camping. I fumble through the book and am finally able to strike one, starting a spark in a subsequent flame. A flame that I can see. The flame doesn't reach far, but I realize that I'm not surrounded by only darkness but also this room I'm in is completely black. Reaching my hand out, I can feel a black wall directly in front of me. I turn around and try to find the black wall behind me, but it seems that the room behind me is much larger. Inching forward, I still try to find some kind of surface to get a feel of how big this room actually is until suddenly my foot makes contact with something on the floor. I look down and see it ever so slightly being illuminated by the match and when I bend down to pick it up, it seems to be a dagger. With ornate designs and curved tip, it looks like some kind of ceremonial dagger from long ago. I also notice that it seems to be made of bone. It is here that I am the safest of all. This is my domain. I am at full power now. I turn around quickly to see the creature. This time, he stands fully upright. His body looks less twisted and gnarled. The hole in his face is now smooth again. You will help me, or you truly will perish like those you left behind. I consider the option as I plunge the dagger deep into his chest. I now find myself sitting in front of Jace. Dude, are you okay? He asks. I quickly turn around to see if anyone is sitting at the table behind us, and I only see a busboy wiping it off. I sink down in my chair, confused. Should I get you some water or something? No, I say. I'm... Uh, I'm okay. I look outside and see your car just sitting there under the light with its doors closed. Can, can you lock the door? Just, just to make sure, I ask. A confused Jace grabs his key fob and locks the door. As the headlights turn on and off with a flash, I saw a man with a gray suit getting up off the floor. My heart skips a beat and I lose my breath. I see the man look up and stare off into the stars beyond. Burrowing out from the gravel below him, a hand pops out and grabs the man's ankle. Using the man as leverage, the creature pulls himself up and wraps himself around the man's leg. The man looks down toward the street and begins to walk, stomp, drag. Stomp. Drag. And he was gone. You sure you're okay? Jace asks, more concerned than ever. Yeah, I say. Let's go home. Oh! Um, I don't know about you guys and ghouls, but I suddenly have a hankering to go to a diner. I just love finger foods. 
especially when the finger foods are actually fingers. Organic, of course. I have respect for my body. Anyways, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next month on the 13th. <laughs>